Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. One church in multiple places, Paradigm Now, one ministry in multiple places. We started this ministry several years ago now at Abundant Life because we believe in your generation. We're for your generation. We think that you are the hope of the nation, that God's hand is upon you, that he wants to use you and do something special in you. So tonight I get the honor of going back to a series that you were in before you did the dating series. Now, I don't know why. I'm not taking this personal. They never asked me to do a message during the dating series. (laughs) I'm not taking that personal. I'm trying not to. I've been married almost 32 years now. So I probably forgot everything I know about dating, all right? Maybe that's it. I don't know for sure. But I get to preach tonight out of Matthew chapter 7. We're in Matthew chapter 7. We're in a series on the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. And so what I love about this sermon is I am preaching to you the greatest sermon Because it's not my sermon, this is Jesus' sermon, perhaps the most talked about, most quoted, most studied, most written about sermon ever, the greatest speech of all time, because it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight he's going to talk and teach about prayer. And tonight we're going to learn about prayer. Here's the reality, you can't live a powerful life if you're living a prayerless life. Listen, the power of God is in you as a child of God. The Spirit of God lives in you. Acts 1.8, the power of God happened the moment you received the Son of God, you received the Spirit of God. But most Christians never live in the power of God. They keep on living the same natural, normal life they had before they came to know Jesus Christ. And part of the reason why is they haven't learned to pray. Now, you know, we'll pray when we need something. Like sometimes we God is the big tow truck driver, you know, God, I'm stuck, come here, back up, help me out, get me unstuck. But tonight I want to talk about fostering and beginning to cultivate a real life of prayer. So one week ago today, Krista and I and our family had an experience we never dreamed we would. We went on this once-in-a-lifetime vacation on the island of Maui. (laughs) And it just happened to be on Tuesday, one week ago today, that we were in a part of the island where the wildfires broke out. Now, it was providential. I'm convinced that it wasn't accidental, it wasn't coincidental. It was providential that we were in that place in that time. Because not only do we like almost never go to Maui, this is like not something the Hopper family does all the time, but we could have been 50 miles away on the other side of the island. But it happened to be Tuesday would be the one day out of our seven-day vacation that we were going to be in Lahaina. We'd be snorkeling in a beach just north of that town. And it would be that day that my daughter decided, I want to go back to the VRBO early. And so Krista and I decided to take our daughter with us, and we're going to go back to the rental early, about an hour away in a different part of the island. And the rest of the family would follow us an hour or two later when they got done snorkeling. So we make our way back, and as soon as we hit this little town of Lahaina, we realized that we're not getting back to the VRBO anytime soon. In fact, at one point, I wondered if we were going to at all. In fact, I texted my son back. He didn't get it till it was too late. In fact, what I said is, don't come this way. It's like an apocalyptic event here. And how prophetic those words would become. And so at first it was just an irritation. It's just traffic congestion. High winds had blow down a bunch of power lines and they had some roads shut down. But nothing dangerous. It was just an irritation. But it wasn't long before I realized, no, this is more than a frustration. This has become a dangerous, dangerous situation. And we stopped to say, look, we got to get down to Kihai. Like, we got to get out of town. And so I actually stopped, pulled over. There was somebody stopping this intersection and stopping people from going down this highway that leads out of town. And people are just driving in circles. We're like cattle in corral. And there's nowhere to go. It's chaos. It's confusion. Nobody's given any instruction. I actually get out of my car, talk to this young young lady with the utility company that was uh, blocking this highway. I said, look, we've got to get out of town. How do we do that? She said, you need to go back north and go on the other side of the wildfire. And so I did. I did what I was told. I went back north and I was starting to get on the other side of the wildfire 
when my wife says, I think I need to pray. To which I said, yes, I think that would be a good idea. And as she began to pray, I don't know why, I just had this impulse. I get out my iPhone, I think, you know, I am living through a very significant moment of time. I record this little 14-second video, and you can hear my wife praying in the background. The only time she has ever prayed ending it with, there are ashes on the window. <laughs> but that prayer, as she prayed that, I think it was the Spirit of God that gave me this prompt to turn my car around and go the opposite way than the way I was told to go to get out of town. I turned my car around. Had I not turned my car around, I'm not sure I would have ever gotten out of that town. I definitely would not have gotten out of town that night. I turned my car around, went back to that same intersection where the young lady blocking the intersection told me to go that way. And when I got to that intersection, they opened up the highway momentarily. We made a run for it. And that night we got back to the VRBO. Now there's a whole lot more to that story because our kids didn't get back till the next day. But here's what I want you to understand. My wife prayed this 911 call to God. I don't know if you could hear it because I could barely hear it up there. I hope you could hear it out there. But she's basically praying 911 to God. God, we don't know what to do. Please direct our steps. Please show us the way. God, protect us. Listen, you don't get to pray that kind of prayer. Check this out. Unless you have learned to pray along the way. See, it's easy to pray those prayers. God, help me. SOS, I'm in trouble. Yeah, and we wait to pray till we're in trouble. But what I want to talk about tonight is learning the power of praying when you're okay. And that's the kind of prayer that Jesus is going to talk about tonight because you can't hit 911 and have a real sense of power and confidence in that prayer if you haven't learned to pray along the way. See, Jesus is not some rabbit's foot redeemer, a four-leaf clover, my little rabbit's foot redeemer, this genie in a bottle. He's not that kind of savior. See, he's not that tow truck driver. God, back up, pull me out when I'm stuck. No, he wants a relationship with us. And we're going to learn that it's through prayer that we foster a genuine relationship with God. My wife and I have been married 32 years. October the 1st, 1991, we tied the knot, we took our vows, we said I do, we exchanged our rings. It was an awesome day. Now just imagine if for the next 32 years, I almost never talked to my wife again. Just imagine over the next 32 years, if I only talked to my wife once a week on a Sunday. What kind of relationship would we have today? Would we even still be married? If we were married, we would barely know each other. So you got to talk to each other to know each other. You see, that is the nature of prayer. What happens is a lot of people come to faith in Jesus. They put the ring on their finger. They say, I'm all in. Yes, I'm a Christian. But then they never, barely even talk to Him. And the reason why they feel distant from God and they don't have true fellowship with God is they've never learned how to talk with God. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. Jesus is going to teach us how to talk to God. Three things to remember about prayer. This comes from the sermon of the Son of God Himself. The Sermon on the Mount. Number one is this. Prayer is personal. It is personal. We're going to see what Jesus says right now about it. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. He says this, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, he says, I say to you, they have their reward. <laughs> but you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now listen carefully. Jesus is not saying it's sinful to pray publicly. In fact, we pray publicly, corporately, in biblical community 
all the time. He's not saying, no, 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 it's a sin to pray publicly. You can only pray secretly. Go into your closet, shut the door. That's not the point he's trying to make. The point he's trying to make is don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the hypocrites who they prayed publicly because they wanted to impress everybody. They prayed publicly so that everybody would see them. It was like the ultimate selfie. Look at me. Look at me. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how spiritual I am. He says, no, don't be like them. Don't pray to impress other people with how awesome you are. And guys, this happens all the time in church culture. I call it churchianity. It's not Christianity. It's churchianity. And y'all are pretty perceptive too. If anybody at your generation... Is it okay to say BS at Paradigm? Like, I'm not actually going to say BS. I would never do this on a Sunday morning when your moms and dads are there, right? But I just have a sense, like, your generation, maybe more than any other generation, like, your BS meter is up all the time. Because you've seen it all, you've heard it all. Yeah, mine is too. I've seen it all, I've heard it all. And you know when somebody is just praying to impress. Like, all of a sudden, their tone and inflection changes. And they're using words that they would never ever use otherwise, right? They're, they're actually going with the King James Version, the King's English, as though Jesus speaks the King's English, God, we beseech thee that thou wouldst hear the prayer of thy servant. I mean, honestly, am I making this up? If you've been in church long enough, you, you've seen this exactly what Jesus is talking about. And all of a sudden, it gets really flowery and, you know, lots and lots of theology and, oh God, I beseech thee and I thank thee that thou did bless me with soteriology. And you gave me the gift of pneumatology. <laughs> and I have this amazing ecclesiology and it's all a gift from you. And I just, using words that they don't even know what they mean, right? It's just, they're hoping to impress everybody near them. See, this is what Jesus is talking about. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, would do this in a way that everybody would be impressed with them and draw attention from God to them. And so Jesus is saying, look, just talk normal. God's not going to be impressed with how flowery the words are, how eloquent your speech is, or you know, how theological sounding it is. Prayer is simply talking to God the way we might talk to one another. You're just having a conversation. Right? He says, so first of all, it's personal. Don't do it in a way that you're trying to impress. You can't mess it up in the eyes of God. You can't mess prayer up. Uh, it's just a conversation you're having with Him. Now, he goes on, he says this, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. And so He says, hey, don't use vain repetition, meaning you're just going through the motions. You say the same thing over and over again. You're not even doing it with any thinking. Uh, and this can happen in a number of ways. Like, uh, you know, there's the, the, the little table prayers that you would say when you're a child. There's nothing wrong uh, as a child. Uh, your mom and dad taught you to pray, maybe using one of these little canned prayers. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my soul that I will keep. If I die before I wake, something like that. I, I never, never actually use that one. How, how about this one? You sit down to dinner. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest, and let thy gifts to us be blessed. Say the same thing every single time. Doesn't mean a thing. Right? The vain repetition. Now, there's nothing wrong with using canned prayers unless it reaches the point it's just empty, mindless motion. Then it's vain repetition. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, there's nothing wrong with the liturgy. Some of you grew up in a liturgical form of worship. There's nothing unbiblical, nothing sinful about that. If you didn't grow up in the liturgy, what I mean by that is a worship style that's repetitious, it's predictable, there's lots of responsive reading. Uh, it doesn't change a lot from one Sunday to the next. Nothing wrong with that. My wife grew up in a denomination that practiced the liturgy. 
But here's what I know. What we're about to study is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught it as a model prayer, but every single Sunday, the entire congregation would say it at the same time, in the same way, and it became a mindless thing. This is my wife's testimony, having grown up in that tradition. In other words, it had become vain repetition. And so, whatever you do, don't let it become just empty, mindless, religious routine. If it doesn't come from the heart, it's not prayer. Okay? So first of all, it's personal. In the same way you're not going to repeat the same lines every time you see the same person, uh, you don't need to do that with God. It's just a conversation, just talking to Him like you would anybody else. Because it's personal, and that means, number two, it is relational. It is relational. Now at this point, Jesus actually gives a model prayer. We know it today as the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and it's been repeated over and over again. But I want you to notice there is nothing Jesus is teaching about this prayer that like there's more power in this prayer if you say this prayer than your own prayer. He's simply using it kind of as a blueprint for how to pray. And what we're learning here is that it is relational because it's first personal. It's between you and him, not you and any other. There's a relationship that he wants with you as a father to his sons and to his daughters. Look at what it says now, Matthew 6 and verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. I want you to notice, first of all, Jesus teaches that God is our Father. God wants to be to us a Father. I don't know about your father physically, the one you've grown up with in your household and your family of origin, but for a lot of us, we had a really distant dad. We didn't really know our dad. Our father was kind of an absentee dad. And sometimes that will shape our view of God. And God's trying to reveal something that regardless of the father you have had physically in your origin family, he wants to be a God that is a father to you. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 8 that we can come to him saying, Abba, Father. Now, Abba was an Aramaic term. We might say today, Daddy. Like my dad died a year and a half ago, 82 years of age. Till the day he died, guess what I called him? My daddy. Now you may think that's weird, or maybe it's part of the southern Missouri culture that I was around, but a grown man would call his father his daddy till the day he died. It was a term of endearment. And that is Abba. It's a term of endearment. See, he doesn't want to be some distant God that you don't know. Uh, that distant father that's always mad at you, that you can never measure up to, that you can never ever please no matter what you do. He wants a relationship with you, the type of relationship where you can come to him, Abba, Father, like he knows me. I can be near him. I can come into his presence without fearing what's going to happen to me. Like he's not already mad at me. And that's what a lot of people think about God. And Jesus is trying to reveal something different. He says, first of all, pray our Father, that God is in fact our Father. Now, how can we pray to God as a Father? Listen carefully. It's not because you're already born as a son or a daughter. Hey, this is a very, very common misconception of our generation that everyone, we're all God's people. And that's just not true. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. See, there's two spiritual fathers and there's two spiritual families. And we come into this world physically alive but spiritually dead because we were in Adam when he sinned and because we were in him, we also fell with him, which means we come into this world estranged from God. That is why Jesus came as the Son of God to bridge the gap between God and men, dying for our sins so that we could be born again members of his family so here's what jesus is teaching when you by faith receive the son of god then and only then do you become a child of god see i was born the son of a man named van but i was not born a son of god but there was a day in my life that I called on Jesus to forgive me of my sin, what Jesus called twice in John 3, being born again. And I was born spiritually, having been already born physically, and instantly I was adopted, Ephesians chapter 1 says, into God's family, so that now I can call him my father. 
And I am his son because I've received the son. I am now a son. And you need to understand that when you come in the name of the son, that name carries power. That name means something. Jesus said, pray to God as our father. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus taught more than once to pray in his name. Now, why would we do that? I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons why. Number one is this. There is power in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2 tells us that God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that is named. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, I've been given all power and authority in heaven and upon earth. So when we pray in his name, you are invoking the highest power and authority in the universe. And as we sang tonight, if you're listening to the lyrics, check this out. The demons know the name of Jesus. They back up to the name of Jesus. They have no choice but to flee in the name of Jesus. You begin to move things in the unseen realm that affect the realm that is seen when you invoke the name of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name to the Father. I want you to notice something. There's no like, it's not that different than even my own life. A lot of you know my son, Josh. Uh, He's about your age, some of you here tonight. And um, he's he's my son. Because he's my son, he has certain privileges with the father not everybody has. Josh no longer lives in my house, but guess what? (laughs) He still has a key to my house. Because he's the father's son. He doesn't have to ask permission to come to my house. He doesn't have to knock on the door of my house. He has a key to my house. He can come in unannounced anytime he wants because he's the son of the father do you understand that as a son of the father you have the rights as the son of the father romans 8 17 says that we are children of god and if children of god we are heirs of god and joint heirs with jesus christ you are welcome in the father's presence you are welcome in the father's house as a child of god because you know the son of god my son has rights in the Father's house that not everybody has. Like, you're welcome at my house. You are, but please call first. <laughs> you're welcome at my house. You really are. But if you come to my house, please don't get in the refrigerator without permission. That would be weird. If I came to your house and got in your refrigerator without permission, you'd think, Pastor Phil, that's rude. But see, if you're in my family, you don't have to ask permission for anything. You have direct access. You have instant access. Do you understand what Jesus is teaching as a child of God? Because you know the Son of God. You have direct access to the Father and all of His house as members of His family. Look, look at it another way. Not only does Josh, my son, have direct access to the Father and all that he has, but some of you know my son personally too. Now here's the deal. I would love to know all of you on a personal level. I really, really would. But I don't know all of you on a personal level. I know some of you on a personal level. Some of you have been to my house. Let me tell you how this goes down. Dad, so-and-so, 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 and so-and-so want to come over on Saturday. Is that okay? To which I say, son, of course that's okay. Bring him over. You know why it's okay? Because some of you know the son. And if you know the son, <laughs> you get access to the father you get access to what the Father has. I want you to know, if you know the Son, you know the Father. The Father looks at the Son, and the Son is an advocate, it says in 1 John 2 and verse 1. He is our advocate before the Father. The Father looks at the Son and says, yes, I know them. They're a child of God. They're members of the family. Jesus is saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You come to him as a father, as a full member of his family, having been born again by faith in the Son of God. John 1.12 says, you are now a child of God, meaning you come to God, access him instantly. No longer is there any separation between you because of sin. Did you know in Matthew chapter 27, we're told at the time that Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom torn in two. There was this veil that stood in the temple for centuries separating the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, from the presence of men. You see, sin had meant a wall of separation, but at the moment of Christ's crucifixion, 
that veil was torn into so that now there is no separation between God and men. You can come behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. So Jesus says in this manner, therefore pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Notice what you're doing. You're praying God's character back to him. It's part of worship. You sing when you worship. Guess what? You pray when you worship. God doesn't need to be reminded, yes, I'm holy. Yeah, I forgot that. No, no, no. You're simply praying as a reverence. It's a reverence to him. God, you are holy. I'm recognizing that you're holy. One of the number one attributes of God is that he is holy. He says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Now check this out. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now honestly, how many times have you prayed and it was really like, God, my kingdom come. God, please, 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 my will be done on earth. I want you to notice something. Prayer. It is not trying to get God to align himself behind your will. Prayer is about you aligning your will behind his will. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I'm not sure, but would you help me align my will to your will? Is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane three times? Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from before me. Like if there's any plan B, <laughs> I'm listening, please. If there's any other way, I don't want to drink this cup if I don't have to. This cup of the cross, this cup of suffering, the cup of wrath of a holy God pouring out his wrath upon the sinless Son of God becoming sin for us. But remember what Jesus did three times, even so, not my will, but your will be done. See, only as you pray are you able then to fully align your will behind God's will and discover His will so that His will can become your will. Does that make sense? Now, a lot of people ask, well, Phil, why even bother praying? Like, uh, you know, if if it's just God's will and uh, that's the only way. And uh, listen carefully. Sometimes we have this false understanding of God's sovereignty. I think it's a distorted understanding of this doctrine. Uh, The Bible talks about a predestination. Like we have the sense that everything's been predestined anyway. And it doesn't really then do any good to pray. And it's almost just fatalism. Listen carefully. There's a difference between foreknowledge and predestination. The Bible uses both of these terms, but they're not the same thing. People use them synonymously. That's a mistake. The Bible speaks of God's foreknowledge, meaning as God, He knows infinitely. He foreknows all the outcomes ahead of time. But listen carefully. He hasn't predestined all the outcomes ahead of time. He has some, but He has not all of them. He has predestined some things for your life, Ephesians 2 and verse 10. There are things God has ordained and foreordained that you will do on this earth as He crafts you into the person that He created you to be. And it's part of exploration, and it's part of discovery of our destination, and and that's just part of the process of what the Bible calls sanctification, becoming conformed to His image. But listen carefully. While God foreknows all things he has not predestined all things in fact james chapter 4 says you have not because you ask not there are some things god is waiting on for you to ask for because when you get it he wants you to associate it with god doing it not you doing it that it came from the hand of god not the hand of man And so there are some things you ask for, you pray for. Now here's the deal, you need to pray like Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. But make your petition. You have not because you ask not. Hezekiah is a great example of this in Scripture, guys. 2 Kings chapter 16 through 20 gives us the life story of King Hezekiah. He was, for the most part, a godly king in an age where most kings were very ungodly. He gets very, very sick toward the end of his life. Sick enough that he's going to die. A prophet comes to him, a man of God, and says, King Hezekiah, God's told me, you are going to die. Put your house in order. Now check this out. Hezekiah goes to God in prayer. Says, God, please, I petition you that you will extend my years. And guess what happens? God hears that prayer. 
He extends his years, gives him 15 more years of life. Now, did God lie? No, God is not a man that he should lie. God foreknew both possible outcomes. He foreknew the outcome, but had not predestined the outcome. Had Hezekiah not prayed, he would have died. And those 15 years would have never happened. Because he prayed, God went with the other outcome. He answered that prayer. See, we need to pray in this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I want you to see that sometimes the will of God for your life, the plan of God for your life, is not a little two-lane sidewalk that if you get off this much, this just you're, you're now you're out of the will of God. No, the reality, God's sovereignty is sometimes a six-lane interstate. Not a little two-lane sidewalk, a six-lane interstate where sometimes the will of God for you in the mind of God is pick a lane, any lane. I will bless any lane you get. Choose lane one, lane two, lane three. I will bless it. Why? Because you're still going the direction that's going to take you to that godly destination. You choose the lane you run in. God, I want your will for my life, your kingdom come, your will be done, not my kingdom come, not my will be done. God, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done in my life. And that is the goal of what it means to be a Christian. And in some way, we usher in the rule of God, not just in our life, but in some way those around us. And that's what it means to have the kingdom of God. Now he goes on, he says this, give us this day our daily bread. God wants to be your provider. Uh, in this case, uh, just the basic provision. God, give us this day our daily bread. God, I need a job. You promised me a job. <laughs> I can't pay for my daily bread without a job. God, I'm out of work. Would you please give me a job? That is a biblical prayer. That is a godly prayer. That's what you're praying. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, God, my car's broke down. I can't get to work without it. I don't know how I'm going to pay for this. That's a biblical prayer. God, please help me. You know what it says in Matthew 6, 33? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When you're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Seeking first the kingdom of God, I will promise when you pray for your daily bread, God will always provide exactly what you need, exactly when you need it. And then he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. <laughs> you are never more like Christ than when you are forgiving the people that have betrayed you, that have hurt you, that have maligned you. There's not one among us that don't have people like that in our life. God, as you have forgiven me, now help me, because I need your help for this. Help me now to forgive others. See, that's what Jesus is now teaching. And do not lead us into temptation. God, please keep me from evil. Guys, I pray this every day. God, protect me from the wicked one. Ephesians 6.12 says that we wrestle daily with the demonic. Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness and heavenly places, that co-worker that gets under your skin, that doesn't really like Christians. They are not really the problem. They are just a puppet on a string. And their strings are being pulled by somebody behind the scenes. As I'm going to work, well, not because, now, I don't, I don't do this because I go to work with all godly people. Forget it. That's a bad illustration. But as you're going to work, <laughs> you're praying, God, please help me now to be filled with the Spirit. Protect me from the wicked one. Help me to respond to that coworker that gets under my skin, that talks about me behind my back. Protect me from wickedness. Protect me from the fire. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What are we acknowledging? We're acknowledging here, God, your sovereignty. God, you are in control of my life. And I trust you implicitly. It's a time of confessing sin. Sin will not ruin your relationship, but it will ruin your fellowship. Hey, in the same way my son is still my son, he'll always be my son because he was born of my seed. He was born my son. There's nothing he can do to stop being my son. But there's some things he could do to ruin the fellowship of the Father. 
See, that's what sin is in the life of God's sons or daughters. So it's a time for confession. It's a time for declaration. It's a time for proclamation. You see, it is personal. We're seeing that, um, that it is continual. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Jesus is teaching it's private, it is personal, and it's to be continual. In fact, Paul said to pray without ceasing. So it doesn't mean you've got to stop, drop, and pray. What we're really talking about is just an ongoing dialogue with God throughout your day. You take Him with you. Imagine again if you only talk to Him on Sundays. Imagine again if you only talk to Him for an hour and a half on Tuesdays. See, this is learning to take God with you, that He is always there. And that means prayer is continual. It's a running dialogue with God. And this is what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 7. Same sermon, different section. He says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say more. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus said, hey, knock, keep knocking. God does not answer immediately, but He answers always. Continually asking, continually praying. And so continually knocking on the door is what Jesus is teaching. It's not a one and done. It's something you're learning to do daily. It's a part of your life. It's not something you just do on a Sunday. It's not something you just do as a part of your religion. Check a box. and This is just learning to foster that continual relationship. Now listen carefully. God always answers your prayer. Not immediately, not always. Because He's trying to teach you something in the moment, in the in-between. He's trying to teach you to trust Him. Trust is about faith. Even when you can't see it, you still believe it because God has said it. Now, he always answers prayer in one of three ways, all right? It's, it's, it's yes, or it's no, or it's not yet. Yes, no, or not yet. And in my life, guys, I have learned to trust God even in the no's. Like, I can look back over my life now, and it's like, I think this is a country song, not sure. Thank God for unanswered prayers. I don't know, I'm probably, once again, dating myself. I, I've learned to thank God for unanswered prayers. I thought I knew what I wanted. I thought I knew what I needed. Some of you just got out of this dating section and this dating, really awesome dating series of what it was, and some of you are praying like, God, please give me that husband. I want that one right there, please. <laughs> please, please, God, please. <laughs> no, wait a minute. I'm telling you, 10 years from now, some of you are going to look back and go, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank God for unanswered prayers. You thought you knew what you wanted. A decade from now, you'll be glad. God knew better than you. Because He can see things you can't see. He knows things you don't know. You think you want this job. You don't know why the door has closed. It seemed like the perfect opportunity. God, why? It doesn't matter. I'll tell you why. Because there's another better one on the way. <laughs> there's something better on the other side. I promise you that. I've seen it happen in my own life, guys. Hey, so years ago, 1990s, I'm a police officer, KCPD. A lot of you know that, some of you might not. This is my chosen career. I thought I'd be in law enforcement 25, 30, 30 years. That's really what I was going to do with my life. That was my career. That's all I could see doing. Had no idea I'd ever be in the ministry. Had no idea I'd ever be a pastor. Had no idea about any of that. I could not see the future, but God could. Now, here's what I wanted for my life. This is the plan of, of Phil for my life. My kingdom come, my will be done. God, please. <laughs> I, I, I want to go down to Springfield, Missouri and be a cop on the Springfield PD. In fact, I interviewed twice with Springfield PD, having been a member of KCPD. And here's the reason why. Springfield PD didn't have a residency requirement. See, in Kansas City, as a 
City uh, employee, I had to live in Kansas City, Missouri. Now, a lot of people don't know this about me. If you know me well, you know this already. I'm a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. All right? I love the urban vibe. I love being down in the crossroads. I really, really do. I love the city. I love the rooftop. But I like going home to the country. I do. And so this was my plan. I can have this career that I really like, I'm really good at it, I really enjoy, I can go down to Springfield. You know why? Because they don't have a residency requirement. And I can buy myself a little farm outside of town somewhere, and uh, I can drive into town in Springfield, I have my career, and then I have my, you know, my, I call it my Duck Dynasty life on the side, <laughs> you know. And this is an awesome plan. And after all, I'm KCPD trained. Like, I'm ready. I mean, just hit push and play, man. Of course they're going to want me. Doors are going to fly open. I tried once. Swing and a miss. What? No way. You guys don't want me? Okay, that, that had to be a mistake. That had to be a mistake. I go back for a second time. This time, I don't even get an interview. Are you kidding? What? Guys, don't you know who I am? It made no sense at the time, guys. It made no sense whatsoever. But by this time in my life, I had finally come to the place where I trusted God. God, you know more than I do. I am surrendered to the will of my Father. In fact, I remember going around that high school track in Springfield, Missouri, doing my physical uh, training and proving, you know, physically I could, you know, do this without passing out. And I was praying the whole way with every stride, God, your will be done. God, your will be done. Wasn't sure I meant it, but God, your will be done. So disappointed when it didn't happen. Here's the point. Had God given me what I prayed for, there would have been no Pastor Phil today. It never would have happened. One could argue there'd be no abundant life today. That might have never happened. One could argue there'd be no paradigm today. Because I could not see what only God could see. I didn't know what only God could know. I couldn't see the future of what God had for me. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Because it was about three or four years later, I began to sense a call into ministry, completely changed the trajectory of my life. And guess what? Today, I live on a farm <laughs> outside of town. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. See what Jesus is teaching? Your Father knows your heart's desire. He's, 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 he's not here to torment you or tease you or withhold any good thing from you. He loves you, and yes, He knows what is best for you. Now, very quickly, I want to answer this question about fasting. That's just a little bit about prayer. A little flyover here of the Lord's prayers. Jesus taught about prayer. Let me answer uh, this question about fasting. Fasting is like a lost discipline of modern American Christianity. Like where prayer is something a lot of Christians don't do and don't really understand fasting even less. And Jesus teaches now about fasting in this very same section from this very same sermon. First of all, it's expected. Like we think today somebody's fasting, oh, that's a superstar Christian. You know, this is like, woo, off the chart, spiritual. Don't you know? This is like Christianity 101 in the mind of God. Look at what Jesus says here. In verse 16, moreover, he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. I want you to notice what he says, when you fast. See, Jesus isn't saying, if you fast, uh, if you choose to fast, some of you won't fast, some of you might shouldn't fast. He says, when you fast. It's just kind of a basic expectation. You're going to fast. So I want you to notice something. It's expected. This isn't like, Christianity 401, this should be just a normal rhythm of the Christian life. First of all, it's expected. So a lot of us have never fasted. So let me just try to make it less complex because the nature of so many people is to make simple the complex and really, really complex the simple. Prayer and fasting should be simple. It's not complex. There shouldn't be a lot of mystery to this. There's too much mystery around it. Like prayer, fasting is something you cannot mess up. 
you see different ways people fast. There's no, there's no verse, no text in the Bible tells you how to fast. You can simply see different examples of it in Scripture. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I don't suggest you do that if you've never done a single day. Right. Start somewhere, maybe not there. Uh, Daniel fasted for 21 days. I want you to notice something. When you look at the life of Daniel and the story of Daniel, if you go to Daniel chapter 11, he began to pray and fast for 21 days straight. Finally, God sends an angel to answer his prayer. And when that angel gets to Daniel and says, Daniel, I am here now because you prayed. I'm the answer to your prayer. I want you to notice something. He says, Daniel, I began to come and I was on my way the moment you began to pray. Now watch this. This text in Daniel 11 will blow your mind. For all the talk right now in the news media about aliens and extraterrestrials and UFOs, guess what? There is life out there. Not the kind of life people are looking for. <laughs> Ephesians 2.2 says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 6.12 calls his demonic army spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. There is life up there. And it's from up there in the heavenlies that Satan makes his headquarters for his assault on the earth. And what happens, Daniel learns, is this angel sent from God gets intercepted by a demonic principality in the heavenlies where he is accosted for 21 days and held hostage so he could not go and answer Daniel's prayer. I want you to notice something. Had Daniel given up on day 2, had he given up on day 6, had he given up on day 10 and said, well, I guess God isn't listening, God's not there, he doesn't care, I want you to notice he never would have had an answer to his prayers. In fact, what this angel says, a stronger angel, Michael, came and helped me overcome this demonic principality that was holding me hostage. Do you understand that when we pray, we enter into intergalactic warfare? When we pray, you are affecting the unseen realm in ways that some of us can never understand or even see in the realm that is seen. And this is why we fast. So what did Jesus teach about fasting? He didn't teach when to fast. He never taught even how to fast. But it should be a rhythm of your prayer life, a rhythm of your Christian life. You can fast for one meal. That's okay. Uh, you could fast for a whole day. That's okay. You might one day fast for 21 days. But the, accept, but, but the expectation is clear that we fast. And when we fast, something happens. We can't fully understand it. I'm not going to try to explain it because I don't think any of us can fully fathom it. There's something about fasting in prayer. So Jesus taught, for example, the disciples came back. Jesus had sent them out casting out demons. And they come back to Jesus. At one point, they said, Jesus, what is it that we could not cast this demon out? We could cast these demons out. We casted those demons out. But this one, we could not cast out. Guess what Jesus said to them? This demon, this kind, comes out only by prayer and fasting. There's something about fasting that adds fuel to your prayer. Not going to try to explain it. There's no human being can fully understand it. There's something about fasting that in some way adds power to our prayers. There's something about fasting that in some way acts as an accelerant to the fire of God in your life. I don't fully understand it. Nobody fully can. I just fully believe it. Because we see examples in Scripture where when you need a breakthrough in your life, if you will add fasting to your prayer and not grow weary and not give up like Daniel did for 21 days, I will promise you're going to get a breakthrough. It may be, God, I don't know the path to go. <laughs> I want to be in your will. I'm just not sure of your will. Is it this or is it this or is it this? God, I want to discern your, I want to hear your voice. If you'll begin to fast as you pray that prayer, God's going to help you discern it. I promise you, that's how it works. God, I, I, I need a better job because I have a family to take care of. And God, I, I, I have a responsibility biblically to take care of my family. It's not wrong to ask for more. 
Jesus said, you have, uh, God, James 4, you have not because you ask not. Now, he said, some have not because they ask amiss, meaning God knows the motives of your heart. But it's not a prayer to ask God for more. You might need more. What do you do? Begin to fast as you pray. Make it a discipline. I don't do this all the time, but, but uh, there's usually at least one meal a week, usually lunch, where normally when I would be eating, I'm praying. And this is what you do. It doesn't count if you're not praying in that time you'd normally be eating, all right? So I take that time. I don't have a lunch appointment. It's normally when I might be interacting with somebody now, it's just you and Jesus and just you and God. And it's an expectation. And it's adding fuel. It adds power to your prayer life. Number two, it's private. Like prayer, it's private. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. So he's speaking again of the Pharisees, you know, the religious that wants everybody to be impressed with how spiritual they are. Somebody invites you to lunch. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I'm fasting. Yeah. Disfigure your face like, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. I've given up Dr. Pepper for Lent. And everybody's impressed. Superstar Christian. No, Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's between you and God. Nobody else should know. But maybe your biblical community, maybe your closest inner circle, your biblical community that you're fasting. Because there's something in us all that wants to be the hero of our own story. You know what I'm saying? When Jesus is the only hero, something in us all wants to be the hero of our story. And we kind of leverage these spiritual disciplines to make ourselves the hero. Jesus said, no, don't do that. It's private. It's between you and God. He says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, meaning nobody else even knows how hungry you are. Nobody else even knows the sacrifice that you're making. Number three, it's rewarded. God promises to reward your sacrifice. When you say no to the physical cravings of your body because you have a longing a spiritual need and your longing for spiritual food supersedes your need for physical food that's what you're doing that's what you're saying you're disciplining your body you're saying no you are not in charge god is in charge no my body will not call the shots god's going to call the shots and when you choose for that to be part of the discipline of your christian life and your pursuit of God's kingdom, God promises it's going to be rewarded. He says, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So paradigm, I think it would be a real miss to teach on prayer tonight without having a time of prayer. I want you tonight that if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Son of God, tonight is the night that you too can become a child of God. God wants to be your Father. He wants you to know Him as a son or a daughter. But for those of us tonight that have already done that, I'd just like to invite you to stand right now over in Lee Summit. I want you all just to stand with us. We're going to have a time right now in prayer. If you just stand... And uh, I hadn't planned on doing this tonight, just kind of in the moment, just since the Holy Spirit would have me do this, just a time of prayer. Uh, it would be amiss to preach on prayer and then not pray. And I pray that you'll take this with you. And my prayer is that you won't just learn about prayer, that you will begin to lean into prayer, that you will begin to learn the power of prayer, that powerlessness is because of prayerlessness Little prayer, little power. And as a child of God, you have the power of God, you have the Spirit of God, but you cannot plug into it if you're not learning the value of the volume of prayer. So I would ask you to do this right now with me. At least Summit, right here in the crossroads, as God's children, His sons, His daughters. Something I did many years ago before I knew there would ever be a pastor Phil. I was Officer Phil. And there were sometimes I would pursue someone and finally they would turn around and they would throw their hands up. 
This is the universal sign of what? Surrender. Surrender. Guess what? God our Father is always pursuing us. Even once you've said, yes, I surrender. Jesus, I'm yours. I will follow. He, he doesn't stop pursuing us. He longs to have a relationship with each of us. My three children have grown up, left my house, but they haven't left my family. As a father, my heart still leaps when my phone rings. I look at that phone. Oh, it's Josh. He's calling me. Oh, McKay. <laughs> She's calling me. Jake? Yeah, man. How you doing? I mean, my heart still leaps. As her father, I'm excited to talk to my children. You know, that's what you do when you pray. God is so excited when you call him. Let's raise our hands to heaven right now. Would you do this with me? I want to pray a blessing over you. Would you allow me to do that? Jesus, I thank you for these hundreds and hundreds of young men and young women in the crossroads tonight and Lee Summit tonight. Lord, we are all in different places in life, maybe spiritually, different places in our journey. I pray, God, for these tonight that are simply navigating their faith, not really sure yet what's true, what's not. I pray that tonight might be the night that you would open their eyes, that they would see the light of the gospel, that the love of God would shine upon their life, that they too would come as a member of your family, born again as a son or a daughter by faith in the Son of God. God, tonight there are many sons and daughters in this place. And God, I pray blessing over each of them that God is their Father, you would pour out your love upon them. That Lord, they would, with all of their heart, pursue you. God, I pray Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 over them. That God, you've said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. God, tonight, there are these sons and daughters that are trying to discern the path you have for them. And I pray that promise over them, that they would trust in you with all of their heart, lean not on their own understanding, in all of their ways they would acknowledge you all the days of their life, that you will direct their paths. Jesus, I pray the blessing, the promise of Philippians 4.13 over them. You've said that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Lord, tonight some are facing really difficult things, really hard things, really painful things. But Lord, you have promised about the redeemed. You have promised about your sons and your daughters that we can do all things. That we can endure all things. Not because of us, but Christ in us. That your strength is enough for us. God, tonight there are real needs in this place. They're beyond the reach of any man or any woman. I pray the promise of Philippians 4.19 that my God shall supply all my needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I pray God in heaven that you would meet that need, whatever it is. That need relationally. That need in that family. That need financially. That God, you would pour out your blessing. That you would meet that need in Christ Jesus as you have promised. And God, tonight we simply believe that you will do what you have said that you will do, that you will perform whatever you have promised. God, tonight I know that there is men and women here with profound anxiety. Eaten up with worry. Insecurity. And I pray the promise of Philippians 4, 6 over them. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I pray that these men and women that have peace with God 
through the blood of the Son of God would walk in the peace of God in the middle of these storms when that fire is out of control as it was last week in Lahaina my wife didn't panic she simply prayed and the peace of God directed our path to safety I pray God that in the very same way as you calmed the storm and said peace be still that as your sons and daughters we would walk in the peace of God our Father in Jesus' name, amen.